Welcome to the weekly deep dive podcast on the Add-On Education Network, the podcast where we explore the weekly Come Follow Me discussion and try to add a little insight and unique perspective. I am your host, Jason Lloyd, here in the studio with my friend and the show's producer, Nate Pfeiffer. What's up? Hey, Nate. How was Montana? When do we get to that part where you take shots at the old flannel board um, pictures of the uh, plan of salvation? I've been waiting all week for this, Jason. Don't. I'm just wondering how far into it do we need to wait before we get to that? Because I'm waiting for that. You know, I'll just make it quick and say it right here up front. Yeah, I, I, I've always had a, a problem with the, the the pictures of the plan of salvation, the circles, the the lines. It, it just seemed like it didn't work for me. This idea that you had the spirit world before Earth, and I, and and then you have. When you die, you go to the separate spirit world, and, and in my mind, as a as a kid, I was thinking, isn't the spirit world here? How is it a different circle if it's here in this circle? And then you got these other circles and where it goes. And I said, wait, doesn't the earth become the celestial kingdom? And and physically looking at it and trying to make sense of it, it just didn't jive for me, and and I never really liked it. But I will say this: having worked for a while now, and and in work working in quality, and and dealing with process maps and flows, workflows, this makes more sense to me. I, and I look at this this plan of salvation. It's not supposed to be this detailed drawing that explains everything and how it's supposed to work. It's supposed to be a process map. And and for kids and people that don't understand process maps, I don't know if if it helps. But but when you understand that this is this is more of a workflow that just kind of describes where you're going, how you're going, it, maybe it's not so bad as, as as what it seems. What a letdown! <laughs> I know. I'm sorry, Nate. Man, I've I've been I have been waiting all week for the fireworks <laughs> on this Fourth of July weekend. I I still don't like it. Okay. I, all right. Whatever. I would rather dive. Okay. In Doctor and Covenant 76, there is so much amazing content and describing and wondrous. I, I feel like it's a shame to, to sum it all up in some picture. And if that's all you're doing as far as describing the plan of salvation, I, I think it's kind of a cheap... Uh, it, it, it doesn't quite get there. It's it's hard to wrap something like that up in a, in a bow like that and call it good. All right, let's get into it. All right. This revelation actually marks a huge shift in theology, if you will, and this idea in Christian belief that there is a heaven and a hell, and everybody's going either one place or the other. And up until this point, religion is literally trying to scare the hell out of people. And you look at the Catholic Church, and I'm not trying to throw any particular church under the bus, but I am saying if you look at the buildings, the sculpture of these beautiful, magnificent cathedrals going back in time. And and they're fun to see, they're fun to observe. But you look at the, the gargoyles and the hellish look that it puts on the outside was very intentional in this idea to illustrate to people outside of this building is not safe or outside of here you find heaven, here you find peace, outside is, is hell waiting for you. And and it tries to scare the hell out of you to come into church, to come into heaven, and the same idea that let repent or be damned. This this very direct, scary theology, if you will, and and this marks a big shift in that. And and this shift, the, this revelation, this idea, the concept that even liars and and cheats and fornicators have have this chance of receiving a paradise, if you will, a kingdom of glory. Is very radical, very different, and Brigham Young had struggles with this. He he looked at it, and it wasn't something that was very soothing to him. It, it went counter to everything that he had felt or understood, and it took him a while to to wrap his mind around it and and understand it. But it is, I don't know. I think, 
I think this jives much better with with an understanding of a God. And and to try to describe this, there there was a guy who lived uh, around Joseph Smith's time, maybe a little bit earlier, who who I think summed it up really well when he said that he cannot imagine a Christ who came and suffered and died and did his atonement just to take a few trophies with him to heaven while the rest of the world was damned. What was it worth if everybody's going to hell except for a few perfect people or near-perfect people or people that think that they are perfect? It's just not worth it. And and I think this opens up the, the, the field and says, this is a God who has a plan for not just a few of his children, but every one of his children. So let's dive into this vision. To introduce it, I wanted to, to read a few words, one from Joseph Smith and the other from Charles W. Penrose. So Joseph Smith of this revelation said, every law, every commandment, every promise, every truth, and every point touching the destiny of man from Genesis to Revelation, where the priority of the scriptures remain unsullied by the folly of men, goes to show the perfection of the theory and witnesses the fact that the document is a transcript from the records of the eternal worlds. The sublimity of the ideas, the purity of the language, the scope of salvation, may confess the Lord and bow the knee, the, um, the rewards for the faithfulness and the punishments of sin are so much beyond the narrow-mindedness of men that every honest man is constrained to exclaim, it came from God. And then Penrose said, There is nothing in the book called the Bible that can compare with it. It is full of light. It is full of truth. It is full of glory. It is full of beauty. It portrays the future of all the inhabitants of the earth, dividing them into three grand classes or divisions, celestial, terrestrial, and telestial, or as compared to the glory of the sun, the glory of the moon, and the glory of the stars. It shows who will be redeemed and what redemption they will enjoy and describes the position the inhabitants of the earth will occupy when they enter into the future state. And he's right. And if you haven't read it, this was one of my favorite sections to read as a kid. Everyone is excited or interested in knowing what we don't know. Maybe maybe that's not a fair statement. I think there is a lot of excitement to know what it's going to be like after earth to see what it would be like in hell or heaven or to see what we're going to be doing, to comprehend what's hidden and dark. And you don't find this much detail or description anywhere else in the scriptures, which is why this is one of my favorite sections. Okay, let's, uh, let's dive into it. First off, when we talk about celestial, terrestrial, and telestial, the word telestial is a made-up word. It doesn't exist outside of Joseph Smith's Doctrine and Covenants, section 76. And, and celestial is a Latin-based root, Latin-based word. It means pertaining to the heavens. Terrestrial, Latin-based again, meaning from the earth, the tierra, the, the ground, the land, anything pertaining to here. So you've got this heaven and the difference between heaven and earth, but then how do you describe something else that that has that same gulf or distance? And and that's where this word telestial kind of gets uh, invented. And, and some people are kind of quick to mock the prophet and say, you know, he took celestial and terrestrial and just kind of combined them to create this new word that never existed before. I think there's a little bit more depth than than just that. And and I wanted to kind of tell a few stories in context of of this idea of where the word telestial comes from. And and I think I think we see that everybody, especially in this day and age, everybody has a voice, but that doesn't mean that everyone's not ignorant. And, and to kind of give you a little bit of story and context to what I'm talking about, I watched uh, the U.S. play Mexico um, soccer. I, I watched the, the rerun of it. And towards the end of the game, when Pulsa 6 scores the, the goal off of the penalty kick, um, or no, 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 I'm sorry, Guardado for Mexico got a, a penalty kick, and he was going to score it, and he missed the, the, the goalie, the keeper, blocked the shot. And, and I remember watching it later. I was reading some comments. I think it was on Reddit talking about the game. And, and somebody was saying they thought it was hilarious how the announcer 
was yelling goal as soon as Guardado kicked the ball because they were that confident in his ability to score that he was yelling goal and had to correct himself and change what he was saying after the it was blocked. And I, and I, and I remember thinking, wait, well, I don't remember hearing that or seeing that. So I went back and watched it, and the commentator says, Le Pego, meaning he hits the ball. He, Le Pego! And, and, and this idea that this person who, who doesn't understand Spanish, who doesn't know Spanish, is hearing in his mind the commentator going, goal, and about to say goal when he was just finishing pego, meaning he kicked the ball and, and then it was blocked, right? So, so here you've got this guy making fun of the commentators. I love it when the Spanish commentators are so confident and cocky thinking that they're going to score. And, and really he's showing his own ignorance and understanding what was actually going on in that moment. I love that. I love that because I try to. I I sometimes roll around in the mud pit that is Twitter, mm-hmm. and I'm always happy when people call somebody else stupid and use the wrong version of their. <laughs> like they're an idiot, and I always correct them. But it's the only time I ever do that. It's the only time I'm ever I ever please that is because there's nothing funnier than when people are uh, trying to take shots at something like that like rudely or meanly and just expose how ignorant and stupid they look it's true and i think a lot of this ignorance shines through particularly as you look for the understanding of where these words celestial terrestrial and telestial come from And, and as i was looking online and seeing some of the comments based on this i was i was a little bit shocked and and some people were making fun of the prophet joseph and, and one of them even pointed out cocoa beam, and they said, I love how Joseph Smith took a, a Hebrew word, cocoa, meaning star, and then an English word, beam, for like a flashlight, a beam, and then he said, stars are called cocoa beams, these star beams, and he's like, what an idiot, and I'm like, okay, w- what this person doesn't understand, yes, cocoa, singular, star, but in in Hebrew, if you want to make something plural, you add the eem ending, so cocoa beam literally in Hebrew means stars. <laughs> and then this guy's making fun of Joseph Smith, thinking he's taking these English words and mashing them up with Hebrew words to create these new words. Please tell me you said something. <laughs> no, I didn't say You don't anything. roll around in the mud. <laughs> I do sometimes. It's I, fun. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm more of the silent observer, and maybe I should say more. But hey, if, for people that are overly critical of Joseph Smith and, and rather than give him the benefit of the doubt, or rather to try to take the time and understand where this comes from, they're so quick to judgment to say, oh, this is just proof of another guy making things up and pulling wool over people's eyes. So when we talk about celestial, terrestrial, telestial, I think this is an opportunity to, to, to look at where this is coming from and to understand Telestial is not part of the revelation where it's thus saith the Lord, the name of this place is Telestial. Hmm. When we dive into this revelation, we will see the beginning part where the Lord is revealing truth to them, the Lord is speaking, and then the Lord stops and commands them to write down what they see, and they're trying to describe what they're seeing. So these words, Celestial, Terrestrial, Telestial, they're not God saying, this is the name of this place. They're They're not God's names for it. They're not Hebrew. They're, they're not Adamonic, if you will. It's, it's just what they're using to try to come to grips with what they're seeing and the best they can do. And, and in the Latin, celestial, the heavens, earth, terrestrial, then where do you go from there? And, and the Greek, we use the tele from Greek quite often, telephone, uh, television, um, tele, I don't know, there's lots of different instances in the the sense that it means from far away, Hmm. telegraph, right? To to telecast, to do something from a distance. So if the sun is right here, the earth is right here, then, then this is even further away from them. So we've separated celestial from terrestrial. We need something lower. We can't say hell because the idea of them going to hell destroys the, the the point that this is a kingdom of glory, but it's out there from the glory that we have here. And so now you've got this 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 idea of of telestial that's born. Or uh, there's another word in in, in Greek, uh, teles, uh, telesterion, which was a sacred place where 
initiation happened, the rites, the, the, it's mm. a place of initiation. So as we look back at the temple, this idea of initiation, when you go through your initiatory and then the endowment, and remember the initiatory is part of this endowment, you're being initiated into these rites. You start off in a telestial level until the lights are brightened in the room around you and you enter into a terrestrial space and then into a celestial space when you go into even a more well-lit room, right? This idea of progression, that telestial is the initiation where, where the start begins. So we've got two Greek words that that suggest that there is actually some significance behind the name here that he's not just combining celestial terrestrial and pulling something out of nowhere. But but lest you think it's weird that you do, look at the Hebrew word for heaven and know that Shah means there and Mayim means water and Shamayim literally means there is water. So if you're looking at people trying to describe heavens and looking up and saying, look at the sky all blue, there is water up there. That is the heavens up there, the water above the earth, which is separated from the water below the earth. And again, you can look at it and say, yeah, they're pretty stupid or that's pretty ignorant. But think today, with all of our science and understanding, what do we call vessels that explore space? We call them spaceships. This idea that you're voyaging, this voyage across the sea, and the islands, the planets are islands across this journey. And we might look at their idea of like the Ark of the Covenant being a boat and having tie-up posts on the roof is kind of silly. But again, baptism, in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, you have to transpass these waters or this heaven to get to where God is. All of a sudden, the idea doesn't seem so silly anymore. You're blowing my mind right now. So just as, as, as we're studying, as we're learning... Don't be so quick to be critical or don't be so quick to, to discount the prophet Joseph or, or think that he was ignorant. Some words that sound ignorant or some things that might not sound as great. I don't know. If you have a little bit of faith, you find out that there's a lot more substance than, than what you thought. Awesome. Let's keep going. All right. Verse two. This, um, this really spoke to me. And I know we're not getting very far so far, and this is such an awesome doesn't matter. Section. This is what we do. This is what we do. Verse 2, great is his wisdom, marvelous are his ways, and the extent of his doings none can find out. This is what spoke to me. The extent of his doings none can find out. It's not the, the extent of his doings. What has he done? And And this idea that no one can find out the extent of it. Now, this is literally true if we're crediting him with the creation of the entire universe. From a, let me just look at this from a scientific standpoint for a minute. We find out, as we look at the light from stars as they're coming towards us or they see us, we see that they shift to the red. And, and a, a blue means that they're high energy and that the, the the peak between the, the waves that is, is very close, There's, or the distance between the waves, the wavelength is very short. But as something gets stretched or pushed away from us, those wavelengths get longer. And as the wavelengths spread out, you're going from, from a blue light towards a red light, and they call it a red shift. We use this, we use this in technology today. Uh, you, you can hear it when an ambulance drives by you. As, as, the, as the ambulance is getting closer, you, you hear the sound one way, and then right as soon as it passes you and it starts to get further away, then you hear the sound shift and change, right? Or as a car drives by you, this compression and then this elongation. And police use it for their Doppler or for their, to, to, to see how fast you're driving and they have the, the radar and they see how much the, the light shifts after it bounces off the car and comes back to see how fast it's moving away from them. This idea of shifting has has educated science or educated us in the idea that space is expanding. It's moving away from us, and and space is being created. Now, there is a speed limit in science that nothing can move faster than the speed of light, and indeed nothing, as far as we know, is traveling faster than the speed of light, but because it is moving away from this idea, and this is where the Big Bang Theory comes, if you were to say reverse this movement away and bring it back, then if we were to go backwards far enough, it would all come from the singularity or the single point of this Big Bang. So so scientifically speaking, looking at the expansion of Earth, not only is every, or expansion of the universe, not only is everything moving away 
but space is being created and spreading out so that it is moving things away from us faster than the speed of light. Not that those objects are moving faster than the speed of light, but space is being created in between us or spread out so that this expansion is faster than the speed of light. Does that make sense? Not whatsoever. <laughs> I mean, to me it doesn't. I'm sure to everybody else they're like, yeah, I'm with you, but this, this is, as a... Elton John so eloquently put all this science I don't understand. If if we had if we had a piece of paper that was folded in half and we had uh, the ends of the paper that were kind of folded out and we had two ants next to each other on the ends of the paper walking in opposite directions and we were to unfold the paper, the ants are still walking at a constant rate which is lower than the speed of light, if you will. But we're artificially moving them further yes, away. Yes, but there is space that's being created in between them that's causing them to move further away than what they're actually moving. So nothing is moving faster than the speed of light, but because mm. space is being created and pushing things out then we are moving faster than the speed of light from each other so you just needed to, t- to tell me the ant thing the ant story i can understand ants good ants are helpful um the idea that the, the the edges of the universe are moving away from us faster than the speed of light means that we will never be able to see them because if we were to look out with a telescope that light can't reach us because it is moving away further than the speed of light. It's, it, we literally cannot see the extent of his creation. So this, this idea that no one can find out the extent of his doings, scientifically speaking, is true. We cannot see the entire universe. It is in, scientifically impossible to see the, the, the entire scope of the universe. We'll never be able to see it. But not only from a literal sense, but I want to look at this. Um, The extent of his doings being so innumerable or so great did not happen because he was sitting around doing nothing. And, And there's some value in that. The extent of his doings being great is because he was actually doing something. And we cannot be great if we... You know, whatever stage in life you're in, if you're a midnight crisis or you're you're a teenager wondering what the value of your life is, if you're doing anything, you will never amount to greatness or never do anything if you don't start doing something. And I think that's why the scripture is so important. Be anxiously engaged in a do work. Your your doings can't be known. Your doings can't be wonderful if you're not doing anything at all. And that's what makes Christ so great is because he is a doer. And And the last point on this is, we know we participated with him in creation, so I would suggest we do not know the extent of our doings either. Wow. I love that. What, what have we done? What have we created? What are we building on that, we, that we've come here and don't remember? Yeah, I love that. And, and it's good to be adding to, to a cool thing like that. All right, next up. This is another little phrase that just uh, it just impresses me. Um, verse four, from eternity to her- eternity, he is the same and his years never fail. And I think before this revelation or before the church came along, this idea of eternity was this never ending period. And we look at it kind of at a linear standpoint, like it, it does not end. There was no beginning the straight line. It just keeps going on for forever and forever and forever. But the Lord here is saying from eternity to eternity. And you're like, wait, what? There's more than one eternities? And that's something that's kind of hard for me to wrap my mind around. My mind around is um, when, when God says "eternal lives" plural, or or from eternity to eternity, and and this idea of multiple eternities, and how does that work? What is <laughs> what are multiple eternities? And I almost look as an eternity. If there's something greater than an eternity, if you will, if if there's something more than just living forever, what is it? And and I, I, I think of it as a cycle, and eternity is often depicted like a, like a serpent eating its own tail or a circle. There is no beginning. There is no end. But in the circle, you have these cycles, and this idea that, that this starts and goes through a full cycle, and then it repeats, and it repeats, and it repeats, but the cycle continues, and this idea that here is an eternity represented by this whole stage or phase, and maybe from from where we started as intelligences to where we gather ourselves to 
to earth and, and figure things out and get a body and become these gods and move on as, as a cycle to where we start the next cycle for another generation of intelligence is to go through the same process or a similar deal and, and build glory to us as we, as we host that idea that this other cycle presents another eternity and another eternity and another eternity. Uh, just multiple eternities is kind of a strange idea and something that kind of sticks out as unique to me here in, in, in Doctrine and Covenant 76. When, uh, so on a way more like dumbed down level, which is where I'm at on all of this stuff, I'll just preface that. I, me too. I read it. Stop it. Don't do that. <laughs> I appreciate you trying to be kind to the simpletons like myself, but just so, uh, at a uh, scout camp when I was younger, or maybe not not even a scout camp, it was some sort of hike outing thing. Um, my my scout advisor at the time, who ended up being like truly one of like the greatest mentors to me through a pretty rough time in life, gave me my first uh, Ernest Hemingway book, and it was just a bunch of the short stories. But in in the very the first couple stories were called Three Shots and I think Indian Camp, and it was about um, I can't I, man I wish I could even remember I think Nick Adams or whatever whoever the character is right as a boy goes with his dad and witnesses a baby being born and again this is back in set back in the I think late eighteen hundreds early nineteen hundreds basically in in the West right mm-hmm. sees a baby born breach and um you know the the mother somehow survives the stress is too much and so the father you know ends up ending his own life because of the stress of the process and this baby's born and it's interesting because then in the story in in very Hemingway fashion without very many more details he sends you back to the boy or the main character Nick or whatever back at camp saying that was the moment I realized I would live forever, or I decided that I would live forever, right? And the idea that you saw you saw death and birth so violently and dramatically in the same situation, right? But as a teenager, that struck me because I was like, man, as a kid, you really you really are just convinced that you're gonna live forever, right? Like there's no there's no idea of at least for most kids, right? Of like a beginning and an end, right? Mm-hmm. But there is something that's kind of profound about that too, though, that I think relates exactly to what it is that you're saying, and that is that we can even now live forever in a way, right? Um, we just got back from this trip up to Montana, like you had mentioned, and visited the home of my great-grandmother, and hearing the the quirky little stories of, yeah, this is where she was, and your, when your dad was born, you know, you're your grandparents were living in this little barn, you know, woodshed thing, you know, and, and, and then you, I look around and I see my kids and my siblings and their kids. And I'm like, Oh my goodness. Like the street name is Pfeiffer street. And my grandma, Josephine is still living. You know what I mean? She's still very, very much alive. And I look at the, through her through her generations right through her her posterity and it's interesting because then when you look at this and you say multiple or infinite eternities or multiple eternities or the ouroboros or whatever you know the what, what you just mentioned it totally makes sense that there can be there that that you can continue to live on and on and on as you create right mm-hmm. and as you pass down certain things does that kind of make sense? Yeah, and, and I like it because this idea of cycles or eternities, and, and I think sometimes the scriptures use us synonymously with eternity, the idea of generations. And you stand in the temple when you get sealed with, a, with mirrors on one side and mirrors on the other. And this idea that before you came here, each one of those generations are eternities. Each one of those lives are eternal lives. And as you look the other direction at what you're about to start and where your generations are headed, this idea of, of the, 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 the seed will be as numberless as the stars of the universe or the sands of the sea, these new generations that are going to be following you. Yet each one, as you look in the mirror, 
is 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 not just goes forever, but it's a series or sequence of 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 mirrors inside mirrors inside mirrors, which you with another you and another you, and this idea that this cycle is repeating and continuing to go. And each generation, this idea that generation is an eternity. It's great. And and it's cool to look at time not as this idea of a linear deal. Because when we look at it linearly, we see it, we start, we're born, we die, and along this line, we screw up and we make mistakes or we do do things that we shouldn't be doing. And because it's a linear line, that's always a part of us. It's always who we are, and we have a hard time letting go of that or, or not dealing with it. But when you turn it around and say, wait a second, this hour is a new hour. It's a different hour from last hour. And this hour, I can do things differently than what I did last hour. Or, you know, the 24 hours is up and we have a new day. Now here's a new day. And this this idea that the week is just repeating week after week after week. Here is a new week. I didn't do so hot last week. Here's some things that I'm going to be working on this week or this month or this year and this new year. And this idea that all of time is not this long straight line of everything that's being weighed down and baggaged on you, but it's a series of restarts and refreshes where God is giving you a new chance and new breath through the atonement to get things right or do things better. It's incredible. I love it. And I think of eternity in my mind almost synonymously with infinity. And and so I almost like to look at eternity from a mathematical standpoint. So if you can if you can hang with me Man, for a second. Things that I'm really good at today are science and math. So let's just <laughs> let's just keep going. In math, there are different infinities. Just like we're saying there's different eternities. And, and that's something that seemed weird to me. Uh, uh, the idea that the, the set of numbers that are even, 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, that's, that goes on for infinity, right? And the set of numbers that are odd go on for infinity. And these infinities are the same size because you can equate 1 to 1. You can say 1 matches up with 2, two um, 3 matches up with 4. You can always find a 1 to 1 relationship with these. So they say that these infinities are equal in size. But then there's something interesting. The, there is an infinity between the numbers 1 and 2. 1.1, 1 1.11, 1.01, whatever the case may be, decimals, right? Mm. And, and the, the infinity between the numbers 1 and 2 is larger than the infinity of, of all odd numbers or the infinity of all even numbers. Why, why is that? Because you can set it at a one-to-one basis, like 1.1, um, 1.2, matches with one, two, three, right? Mm. So there's a one-to-one relationship that can go on for in an infinite amount. But then you can also say, what about 0.01, 0.02, 0.03? 0.00001. Yes. So there is an infinitely more amount of infinities between one and two than there are in all the numbers on the number line. Somehow that makes sense to me. It's kind of crazy. Shockingly, that makes sense to what, me, what you just explained. So when we start talking about multiple eternities and, and whatnot and this idea of creation, it's kind of hard concepts and it kind of blows the mind a little bit, but I think we still find analogies in math. And, and one of the coolest analogies in math, for me anyways, where I see us and where I see God is the asymptote. What did you just say? <laughs> An asymptote. So an asymptote is a point that cannot exist on on the line. So if I were to graph um, one divided by x, this, this is the, a super cool formula, right? Okay. <laughs> if, if I if I say x equals one, okay, one divided by one is one. So yep. when x equals one, y equals one, right? Sure. When x equals two, one divided by two is one half. Y equals one half. When x equals three, y equals one third, one fourth, one fifth. As we go down the number line, right? Sure. And and so as x gets bigger, y is getting smaller. But then if I were to start taking x and I were to make it a fraction, so if I were to say one half, then then one divided by one half. When you're dividing a fraction by a fraction, you flip the fraction and multiply. It's two. So one divided by one half is two. So when x equals one half, y equals two. When x equals one fourth, y equals four. When x equals uh, eight, uh, one eighth, then y equals eight. 
So as X gets closer to zero, then Y is getting larger and larger and larger. But what happens if you make X zero? One divided by zero is the great, you do not do this, right? Unknown. It's unknown. But you can get... Wait, it's not unknown, it's zero. No, no, you can't divide by zero. What? Why? That's a law in math. You cannot divide by zero. Who wrote that law? Can I vote on this? (laughs) No, Then I reject this as a law. Okay. How do you divide something up into zero? I don't know. You can't. I don't don't know how to... Dude, I don't know anything that you're talking about right now, so... (laughs) I don't. I, there's no. I have no answer for you. If you were to, if you were to multiply by what you're dividing by, then you should get the number that's at the top. So if you're to divide one by two and multiply by two, that the twos cancel each other out, yep. and you get one on top, right? Okay, yeah. But if you were to multiply one divided by zero by zero, what do you get? It's unknown, dude. Everybody knows this. <laughs> you can't get one because anything times zero is zero. Yep. But you can't get zero. You just you cannot divide by zero. Okay. All right. I accept that you cannot divide by zero. But except this, as we were talking about infinities, you can get infinitely close to zero. Because X can get smaller yep. and smaller and smaller. And yep. what happens to Y as X gets smaller? When it was one half, it became two. When it yep. was one eighth, it became eight. So as X gets infinitely close to zero, then Y goes to positive infinity. But if you were to approach this thing from the other side, so negative, as you approach it from the opposite direction, as X is getting closer and closer to zero, then Y is getting larger and larger on the negative side. So at that single point, if it existed, it would encompass both positive infinity and negative infinity at the exact same time. But it's impossible. But it's impossible. And so what is this point and what is this this deal as you get closer? And, and this is where I think God comes in and this idea that he's unknowable or, or this mysterious whatever, and yet he encompasses all things. As you look at the Nicene Creed or whatnot, this all-encompassing, all-knowing, and this idea that at this single point, it encompasses both positive infinity and negative infinity at the exact same time, and yet it doesn't exist. But it does exist. This idea, this is... This is where I find God in math, and it's interesting to me. But not just God, this idea that God became man so that man could become God. I almost look at this point on the line as our lives. Because we, before we get here on earth, we existed forever before we got here. This is your negative infinity, if you will. We always existed. And, and there was no beginning to us or else there would be an end to us and we would die. So before we get here on earth, there's this negative infinity all the way up until this point. And here we exist in this moment of time. And after we die here on earth, positive infinity. We're headed to the eternal world. So it was eternal before we got here. It'll be eternal after we leave here. And here at this point is the crux or this moment, this idea that this is where we find ourselves. Where you find God in math, I pray to God when it comes to math. I'm just saying. Praying's a good thing. I mean, like in school, that's I, I'm just praying when it comes to math. So I'm glad that you found God in math because I'm I'm lost. I don't know. Sorry, that's probably just a weird tangent, and maybe just I a mean shout again, out like to a I few think math that, nerds I think like that, me out there. I think that it, it makes sense to somebody, <laughs> but I don't still. Where did you get your asymptotes? Asymptotes? Yeah, whatever that is. It's it's wherever a point doesn't exist on a line because it can't. Okay, exist. I'm just it's making this. sure we came back to wherever that fit in. Okay, <laughs> this is good. All right, I think we're I, I think I we're know. reset. It's great. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna slowly walk away from math and and asymptotes and eternities and try no, to get back great. into grounded. Uh... <laughs> For any of you teaching gospel doctrine or Sunday school, good luck with that one. <laughs> Run. <laughs> Run. Run infinitely far away from the asymptotes. <laughs> Don't don't even try to mention asymptotes unless no. you're unless you're in the room with another math person. Dude, the math person's gonna they're gonna be like, "Amen, brother." As soon as as soon as you hit him with that, <laughs> or sister, whatever. I'm just saying generally. And then the rest of us might just scratch our heads and say, "You're thinking too hard. This is not no. No, just this stop. is good. This just is where stop. you this is where you bring out your phone and check a uh, check the gram." All right, so. I'm going to bring it into stuff that's a little bit more relevant to all of us here that I think speaks to everyone. Uh, verse 7, these are some of my most favorite verses of, of all of Scripture. Um, let's see. 
Maybe I'll start in verse five. For thus saith the Lord, I, the Lord, am merciful and gracious unto those who fear me and delight to honor those who serve me in righteousness and in truth unto the end. Great shall be their reward and eternal shall be their glory. And to them will I reveal all mysteries. Yea, all the hidden mysteries of my kingdom from days of old and for ages to come will I make known unto them the good pleasure of my will concerning all things pertaining to my kingdom. Yea, even the wonders of eternity shall they know, and things to come will I show them, even things of many generations. And their wisdom shall be great, and their understanding reach to heaven, and before them the wisdom of the wise shall perish, and the understanding of the prudent shall be not. For by my spirit I will enlighten them, and by my power will I make known unto them the secrets of my will. Yea, even those things which the eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor yet entered into the heart of man. Those those are powerful verses to me. Those are some of the ones that I just I thrive on. I love because you don't think that this you don't think that this is referring to just after we die. No, I I think and case in point, this is why I think it's so powerful is that God says this right here, right before He shows us the revelation that He showed Joseph Smith and says, "See." Hmm. I, I'm a man of my word. You do this, and I will give you that, and here's the proof. I love that. It's, uh, I don't it's know. It's awesome. It's a little overwhelming. It is, but it's amazing. And, and I love how he says, and behold, the wisdom of the wise shall perish, and the understanding of the prudent shall come to naught. And, and I can't help but think of, of the cocoa beam people, right? Oh, Joseph Smith's such an idiot. He put beam at the end of a Hebrew word and a Hebrew-English hybrid, cocoa beam. And you're like, yeah. But the wisdom, it seemed wise at the time. Like, you don't want to listen to this Joseph Smith. He's going to deceive people. He's sitting there making things up left and right. But their wisdom shall come to naught. And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah maybe maybe I shouldn't have said that. They'll never, they'll, never, they'll never admit that. <laughs> well, if they if they come to to, to learn to see... But for those who are looking on the outside and know, it, it comes to not to them. I love it. All right. Next. And, and this kind of does mark the transition because, like I said, he says it and then he does it. So this is no longer the revelation from God. And this is no longer God speaking. So verse 11, we, Joseph Smith Jr. and Sidney Rigdon, being in the spirit on the 16th day of February in the 18th. So this is now Joseph Smith telling the story. This is, this marks the end of God speaking. And, and Joseph Smith is commanded to write these things down. And he's going to, to describe the revelation that they have. And uh, verse 15, for while we, were do- while we were doing the work of translation, which the Lord had appointed unto us, we came to the 29th verse of the fifth chapter of John, which was given unto us as follows. And, and I, I did look that up to, to find kind of where the pen hesitates and stalls on the page and the little ink blot, and then there's kind of a smear mark down. I'll, I'll, I'll try to include that in the artwork for this episode. So when you see this episode, you'll see the, the text of that and where that takes place in the translation, the New Testament translation. Cool. Speaking of the resurrection of the dead, so they start, they, it says, all shall come forth, they shall have done good in the resurrection of the just, they who have done evil in the resurrection of the unjust. Now this caused us to marvel, for it was given to us in the Spirit. And while we meditated upon these things, the Lord touched the eyes of our understanding, and they were opened, and the glory of the Lord shone round about. And we beheld the glory of the Son on the right hand of the Father, and received of his fullness." and saw the holy angels and them that are sanctified before the throne worshiping God. What a glorious vision. And in this vision, Joseph Smith and Sidney Rigdon see it. They're not alone. There were 13 other people in the room with them. And they're the only two that actually see everything that's happening in the vision, though. Everyone else sees that something has happened and kind of see the power of God, but they don't see the details of the vision. And they said it was silent. You, you could hear a pin drop as they were experiencing this, and then they would start speaking and say, I see and describe what they're seeing. And then the other would say, I see the same. And then say, I see, and then they're just kind of describing it back and forth to each other. And that's obviously not the text as we have it here. They've taken that cleaned it up and tried to prepare and present that story the best they can to us. 
is the vision that they saw. And when the vision's over, you know, I think most of us have heard the story. Signey looked pretty pale and like he was about to pass out. And Joseph Smith saying, you know, he's not as used to seeing visions as I am. <laughs> and and how great would Boom. that be? How great would that be to be with the prophet Joseph? Because he would. He would do this. He was he was walking with people. One of my favorite stories of the prophet, he says, come, brethren, let's have a vision. Just out of nowhere, as they're walking, pulls them off the road, lies down on the grass with them, spreads his arms out. One guy lays on one hand, another guy lays on the other hand, and all of a sudden, the heavens are open. They see Adam and Eve sitting on a throne, sharing a throne together, and they have this vision. And Joseph Smith's like, yeah, let's, let's have a vision today. I mean, he, <laughs> it's pretty amazing. <coughs> Excuse me. All right, verse 22. This is perhaps one of the most important things about the restoration. And, and one of the best verses ever of all scriptures. Um, and now after the testimonies which have been given of him, this is the testimony last of all which we give of him that he lives. And that's one of the most critical things about this gospel is that it brings to us a testimony of someone who has seen God and seen Christ sitting on his throne to mark a new dispensation. We have seen him. We have the testimonies in the Bible. We have the testimonies after all these testimonies which have been given. We see them, but how about us? Are we forgotten? Are we lost? No, here is a testimony of our time. And as many cool things as we're going to reveal, perhaps nothing is more important than the fact that we testify and we are telling you God lives and he is speaking to us today. Very critical. All right. Um, We're moving to the fall of Satan. And verse 30, it says, and while we were yet in the spirit, um, oh wait, we saw a vision. Sorry, verse 30. And we saw a vision of the sufferings of those with whom he made war and overcame, for thus saith the voice of the Lord unto us. Um, So he sees this this vision of those that suffer. And, And there's something here in verse 30. We saw a vision of the sufferings of those with whom he made war and overcame. And that tells me those that followed Satan, it's not like they were just, hey, let's let's go do this and they were evil and whatever. He says he made war with them and he overcame them, which means that they must have resisted and they must have fought against him at, at some point in time. This isn't, I don't know, it's its easy to write these people off or write off the evil, if you will, the, the bad spirits or the demons, the devils, but he made war and overcame suggests that this is more of a tragedy. It kind of tugs at the heart a little bit, and maybe that's why the heavens weep when they look down and they see these people that fell, is to understand that it wasn't just a simple they were overcome in battle, if you will. And there's something interesting about this first group as he's describing the sons of perdition, the outer darkness before he gets to heaven. Um, verse 39 kind of tells, it says, For all the rest shall be brought forth by the resurrection of the dead. So does that mean these don't get resurrected? I mean, did they ever have a body to be resurrected? And I think that's the point, Nate. If I go back to, uh, let's see, verse 32. They are they who are the sons of perdition, of whom I say that it had been better for them never to have been born. So it seems like God is giving them mercy and not giving them a body here on earth. It is better for them to have not been born. So these are not people... The way I read this, if God's saying it was better for them to have not been born and everyone else gets resurrected, I think that this group is speaking exclusively of those who didn't come here in the first place. I could be wrong. I, and, and I know we've talked about sons of perditions and this idea that people can join this group, but I wonder if everybody who's received a body is is saved to some degree and do not experience this this darkness, if you will, this outer darkness. It, it's an interesting thought. I, I can't say, but I can say that these two verses kind of lean me in that direction. All right, next. Um, I think it is interesting that this revelation starts with dread, doom, and despair, this, this gloomy picture of the outer darkness before it moves into the glory. I think that's how a lot of things have been. You look at Joseph Smith's first vision, before he sees God, this despair that's taking him and seizing him. 
You look at the saints in the early days of the church, the persecution to be driven from their homes and the rape before all of a sudden they prospered. Uh, The pioneers, Brigham Young was very critical of the new pioneers that came over that expected to have everything all laid out for them and says, you don't remember, you weren't here, you don't realize that what we went through when the crickets came and ate the crops and were forced to eat leather to try to boil up weeds or whatever we could do to survive, that there is this, I don't know, this, this hard part that we come through before we get to this glory, this rest. And, and I see that even in our own lives. I think as we start to mature a little bit and be accountable for our own decisions early on in life, I think we go through moments of despair, moments of trying to figure things out, moments of, of not always making the right decisions before we feel like we kind of have our feet underneath us. And, and we, we go through a darkness to appreciate the light at the end of the tunnel. And the atonement itself, I think, follows that same pattern. So I think it's kind of neat the revelation is set up in this same direction. All right, let's get to something not so dreadful and, and gloomy. Let's, uh, let's talk about the celestial kingdom and, and then uh, kind of see where we go from there. Talking about these people, uh, let's see. Verse 53 through 58 and who overcome by faith and are sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, uh, talking about these. Maybe I should back up a little bit. Verse 51, They are they who received the testimony of Jesus and believed on his name and were baptized after the manner of his burial, being buried in the water in his name, and this commandment, uh, this according to the commandment which has, been give, which has been given, that by keeping the commandments they may be washed and cleansed from all their sins and receive the Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit, by the laying on of hands of him who is ordained and sealed forth into power who overcome by faith and are sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, which the Father shed forth upon all those who are just and true. They are they who are the church of the firstborn. They are there whose hands the Father has given all things, into whose hands the Father has given all things. They are they who are priests and kings who have received of his fullness and his glory, and they are and are priests of the Most High after the order of Melchizedek, which was after the order of Enoch, which was after the order of the only begotten Son. Wherefore, as it is written, they are gods, even the sons of God. Wherefore, all things are theirs, whether life or death or things present or things to come, all are theirs, and they are Christ, and Christ is God's, and they shall overcome all things. I love that statement. They are gods. It's pretty plain. Even the sons of God. And the church, I think, has gotten a lot of criticism for believing that we can become gods. And this idea that that we will be like God seems blasphemous to a lot of different religions that accuse us of being non-Christian. But what does it mean to be God? And, and as you said earlier on, Nate, I think all of us have the sense that we can live forever. Whether we die or not, this idea that we have existed, that we will continue to exist in some way, and if we live forever, does that not make us a god? Exactly. That's the only thing I can think that's different between God and us is this idea that he remains. He doesn't die. And if someone were to live forever here on earth, would we not call him a god? And so I don't know why this doctrine is so hard for others to accept. But there, there is a document called the Testament of Adam that they, that they discovered, this old manuscript they, they credit to... Um, to, to Jews because it was written in Hebrew even before Christ came. Uh, it, some of it's dated to, uh, I don't know. I, I can give you a whole work down of the manuscript later if you want, but this is called the Testament of Adam. Um, Adam, before he dies, so he, he gets sick and, and he gathers all of his children together in this valley, which which really sounds familiar with what we believe in our in our church, right? And he talks to them. He says, I want to bless you, and, and I want to give you some instruction before I die. I'm going to die. And, and he talks about Christ, and he says, uh, I'll just read right out of this document. There's a couple different versions of this text, uh, and some say it better than others, but th- this one's in the, the book of the Cave of Treasures. Uh, and he says, Now therefore know all this, and hearken unto my word, and understand that the word of God, the Most High, shall come down upon the earth, even as he has told me in the moment when he thrust me from the garden. For he told me that his word in latter days should become 
man from a woman who was a virgin whose name was Mary. And, and he talks about his coming and what he's going to do and the atonement and how it's going to save people. And then he says, and besides these things, God spake unto me saying, be not sorrowful, O Adam, for thou didst wish to become a God and didst transgress my command. Behold, I will make you a God. I will establish thee, not at this present, but after a few days. And again he spake unto me, I am God who made thee to go forth from the garden of joy unto the earth, which shall shoot forth from the brambles, and thou shalt dwell therein. Bend thy back and make thy knees to totter in old age, and I will make thy flesh food for the worms. And after five and a half days, I will have compassion upon thee and show thee mercy in abundance of my compassion and my mercy. And I will come down into thy house and I will dwell in my flesh. For thy sake, I will be pleased to be born like an ordinary child. And for thy sake, I will be pleased to walk in the marketplace. And for thy sake, I will be pleased to fast 40 days. And for thy sake, I will be pleased to accept baptism. And for thy sake, I will be pleased to endure suffering. And for thy sake, I will be pleased to hang on the woods of the cross. All these things will I do for thy sake, O Adam. And, and, and there's another version of this text I wish I had in front of me right now. But he says, I will, I will have you. He says, you wanted to be a god. I will make you a god. But first you're going to die. And the worm is going to eat up your body. And Adam says, why? And he says, well, just as you ate the fruit, then the worm is going to eat you. You're going to die. You're going to go through this process. And, but you and your posterity, I will make you gods. And to me, it's cool to see these texts, these ancient documents that had this, this theology, this belief that we are attached to God, that we came from God, and that he will make us like him, that the whole purpose of this is more than just grabbing a few trophies off of earth because he came and saved a few people that love him and everyone else is just lost and leftovers. No, we are God's children. He has a special place for us. There is a plan and there is glory in the world to come for all of his children. All are going to be redeemed through through the atonement. All are going to be saved through the resurrection. All are going to find themselves, even as they describe this celestial kingdom for, for the liars, the cheaters, the people that cheated, yet they will find themselves in this kingdom of glory. It's beautiful. It's a cool vision. And, and maybe one last question, one last note before we wrap this up is, is there progression after this life, like the like, or is the die cast and and things set? What 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 happens? Do the, the celestial move up, or do they stay where they're at, or is is everything locked in? I have thoughts. I'd, I'd love to hear them. Well, I think you you kind of said it earlier when you when you described the celestial kingdom as a like a staging ground. Mm-hmm. What was the word that you used? Initiation. An initiation. And I have a hard time believing that a father who loves his children and has created a way for them to be redeemed wouldn't provide at least an opportunity for those that are still in the correct place to start to still give them a um, a chance to progress and grow and potentially, you know, move move to a higher glory. Yeah, and is there, my is my is my thoughts. And and there's somebody else in the early church days, uh, a scholar. I'm trying to think if it was B. H. Roberts. I I'm not sure, so I better not say. But he had a very similar thought process to yours, and he cited some of these verses to try to to, to try to show what he was thinking. Um, here we are. Uh, verse, let's see, eighty-five, maybe. These are they who shall not be redeemed from the devil until the last resurrection, until the Lord, even Christ the Lamb, shall have finished His work. These are they who have received not His fullness in the eternal world, but the Holy Spirit through ministration of the terrestrial and the terrestrial through ministration of the celestial, and also the telestial received the administration of angels who were appointed to minister to them, who were appointed for the ministering spirits for them, that they shall be heirs of salvation. And this idea, why why do you have terrestrial ministering to those in a telestial, 
unless it was to help prepare them to come into a terrestrial state and this idea of celestial beings ministering to the terrestrial beings. That was his thoughts anyways, this idea that... Well, you even brought it up too with like the temple ceremony. I mean, you move from kingdom to kingdom symbolically. You're prepared for the next kingdom. You're taught what you need to be taught. You symbolically progress throughout throughout that whole process, even there. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm just saying is like a lot of the symbolism, I feel like, hints at least at the idea that that you you don't like as soon as you die you're like well that was your shot because again like it's it's just so hard to even try to touch on people's different experiences when they were in this life and the opportunities they had in this life and even the knowledge and things that they had in this life and what they were able to do with potentially really tough you know tough situations and I guess it just feels like it would be so hard to umbrella however many billions of people have lived on this earth into just like three you almost made it you know yeah <laughs> like, I don't know like I don't know it's just it just seems it seems too it just seems too hard for me to imagine again that a loving parent and it always comes back to that that a loving parent would go Hey man, I know you had a really tough go on earth. I know your situation wasn't as good as John over here. Well, John made it because, you know, he did all the right things and sorry that your situation sucked, but, you know, a deal's a deal. I don't know, that just it's 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 just hard for me to and again, I don't know if I have all of the things to back that up with, but it just it it's what makes sense to my mind. Well, and and I think as, as amazing as these scriptures are as expounding and opening up this vision of what the life will be like, it's so much more complex than even what this revelation can describe. And, and going back to the very beginning when you asked me about the, the, the flannel board presentation is, is this idea, I, I don't think the, the simplification really does it justice. And you look at the telestial kingdom and they say it's the glory of the stars and and it says for as one star is brighter than another there there's going to be different levels even within the celestial kingdom and and as simple as it seems they talk about the celestial as one glory yet later on in doctrine and covenants we're going to see that even within the celestial kingdom there are three separate kingdoms and this idea that get this the people that make it to the highest kingdom of the celestial kingdom. So we're looking at here, and we see this the celestial at the top of the the top of the class, and then the terrestrial and the celestial. And then even within the celestial, you have a breakdown of three, and those that make it to the top of the celestial are given this this rock, and and the purpose of the rock, they say. So they say that the earth will become a celestial kingdom, and it becomes a Urim and Thummim, and and you look into it to see things pertaining to things of a lower kingdom. So the earth is the celestial, and you can look into the earth and see things pertaining to this lower kingdom. But then they're given this rock that's a Urim and Thummim. And you're like, well, what's the purpose of this rock if they're living on a Urim and Thummim? And it says that this rock shall be a Urim and Thummim to see things pertaining to a higher kingdom. And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> this, this is the people, only the people at the top of the top get this, and yet you're talking about things pertaining to a higher kingdom? It's interesting. There's there's little things here and there that just make you pause and think and understand. This isn't this isn't the end all be all. This isn't the revelation that shows us all of God's workings. If anything, this is to whet our appetite and let us know God is willing to show us these things. If go back to the very beginning, right? The the conditions he lays this out. For thus saith the Lord, I am merciful and gracious unto those who fear me. Delight to honor those who serve me in righteousness and in truth. Great shall be their reward and eternal shall be their glory. And to them will I reveal all mysteries. And here, I'll show you. This is what I'm going to do. Have your questions. Wonder about this. This isn't the end. This is the beginning. Take this and ask me. 
Find out more. Live up to it. Give you a purpose, a direction, something to seek, something to find so that you can try to understand it even more than what they understood it because that's how Joseph Smith got it was by looking at how they understood it in John chapter 5, verse 29 and building on that understanding. And I can't answer the question whether there's progression or not. And, and I've heard it both ways. I've heard some say yes. I've heard some say no. But I can say that I agree with you, Nate, that a God, I have a hard time seeing a perfect, loving God who, who would take someone who's willing to take it to the next level and say, you can no longer do that. If there is no progression from that point on, I dare say the reason there would be no progression is because the people themselves are settled and happy with where they're at and don't want to move forward. Not because God is saying you can't or they never would have ended up there in the first place if there's no progression. Mm. I, I, think, I think God is giving us every opportunity we can. But if we don't take that opportunity to find him now, to seek him, what motivation will we have to find and seek him later? Because we've we found something else that we're more interested in and we're going to settle for that. Wake up while we have the chance or we might not ever have that appetite later on. Mm. And yeah, I love that. I think that's incredible insight and perspective and I agree with that. I just I always I always go back to the word that's used and that's damned. You're mm-hmm. going to be damned. And if you look at that as an actual like Hoover Dam or whatever, you know, you go you go out and see these dams, it's like yeah, like things are held back sometimes for a long time compared to other things, but at the same time you can you can dam a river without having to completely stop the water flow, right? Yeah. Without having to completely stop it. And water still makes it through to the other side. It's just being held temporarily or slowed or held up, right? Mm-hmm. And so even some of the language that we use in that, it's just more little hints at the idea that being damned to me doesn't feel or sound as like this eternal you're stuck here forever and being burned, you know, and on fire, the, whatever it was. But Well, even look at the process that those who inherit the celestial kingdom go through, because even though it's not saying this concept of a heaven and hell doesn't exist, they have to go through hell to get where they're going to go. Mm-hmm. And there's a price that needs to be paid. If you don't let Christ suffer for your sins, then you're going to suffer for yours. You're going to pay the farthing. You're going to come to an understanding. You're going to come to a state where thou shalt keep the commandments because now you are aligned with God before you get to where you're going to go. And and this idea, even if they can progress from hell to a celestial state or hell from wherever they're going to go, this idea that yeah, maybe maybe there is some stopping along the way before we get to where we're going to be, and maybe there's some perceptions that need to be changed. Or, but at the end of the day, there's hope, and and let's not let's not put off anything that we can do today, lest we lose that appetite or desire to do it and find ourselves stuck until we can move on. Jason, well done on that episode, man. Oh, thank Fantastic you. preparation and insight. I'm seriously, I'm I'm my mind still trying to catch up on all this stuff seriously very well done well thank you and, and and can i ask a favor of of our listeners if if at all possible put something on on you guys that are out listening to this episode nate i didn't even ask you before we started um we we, we put some time into this I, i'd say 10 to 12 hours a week trying to make sure we get these episodes ready to go and share this with you guys I, I would love to hear a little bit from you guys obviously not asking for 10 hours in return i just ask Maybe you guys can send to us what you thought your favorite episodes or moments of the show were just so we can kind of get some feedback of what you liked or what you thought was interesting and start the dialogue. We're here listening and, 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 and ready to talk. Uh, hi at weeklydeepdive.com. Hi at weeklydeepdive.com. Please send all of those things that Jason said. What are we talking about next week? Next week is Doctor and Covenants, section 77 through... Just a second, just a second. I had this noted down so I wouldn't forget. I just had my notes pulled up and I just closed them down. I know. I, I shut my computer off Hold a on, ago. I'll tell you. 77. 77 through 80. I will lead you along. There you go. There you go. All right. Well, until next week. See ya. See ya.